I got kind of sad because I said, what if I didn't have the money to pay for the very expensive testing, diagnosis, tutors, and remediation? My daughter would be lost. Welcome to Let's Get Proximate, the podcast that explores the stories, experiences, and challenges of others so we can learn to innovate, create, and collaborate with lived experiences different from our own. Join hosts Alex Allen and Callie McKee as they explore the power in proximity, leveraging the value of meaningful interactions and insights to disrupt false narratives and foster understanding that leads to real and lasting transformation. Let's dive into the latest episode and learn more about creating an inclusive future for all. This episode is brought to you by Cisco, an industry leader in technology innovations and solutions. With networking, security, collaboration, cloud management, and more, Cisco helps securely connect industries and communities, creating the bridge to possible. Find out more at www.cisco.com. Welcome to the Let's Get Proximate podcast. I am Alex Allen, Senior Director for the Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, Go-To-Market Strategy. My pronouns are he, him. And today I'm wearing a Jackie Robinson t-shirt, a navy blue t-shirt with the number 42 on my hat and 42 on my back. And I am so excited to be here today with you all. Yes. Welcome back, Alex. I know you've done some conversations. I've done some conversations. The dream team is back together again for this today. I'm so excited. Y'all, Callie McKee, I'm a program manager here at Cisco. I use she, her pronouns. I am a white woman with brownish, grayish hair, we'll call it. Today, I'm wearing a blazer and my Dolly Parton t-shirt along with my pride pin. And I am so excited for this episode today and to be back with you, Alex, to get proximate. I love it, Callie. And this doesn't happen, y'all, without our business partners. And so the customer and partner engineering experience team Thank you so much for supporting us and being able to have this podcast for us and supporting us in our journey to be able to get proximate with people and talk about their lived experiences. So in this podcast, we're going to get deep. We're going to talk about getting proximate. We're going to talk about how we approach conversations across difference. And we're going to meet a ton of great people and learn about their lived experiences. Callie, what's been going on lately with proximity? What's not been going on with proximity, Alex? That is the question. Proximity is continuing just to be part of our lives here at Cisco. We're continuing to think about how we're growing and shifting and changing and evolving the program. But the biggest thing this week that is going on with proximity is that we have our chief diversity officer here to talk about proximity, and we're going to introduce her in a second. But what I'm going to say is one of the things that has been so amazing is for any of y'all who attended Cisco Live this past or have had the pleasure of hearing Gloria speak already, you've heard her talk about proximity. Proximity is a key to our business transformation, getting proximate to each other as part of our skill building, our developments, and kind of where we're going, not only culturally at Cisco, but also for the business. So I know she's going to talk more about that. I don't want to give it up too early here. So I'll pass it back to you, Alex, and say, let's introduce our very special guest that we have today. 100%. As Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer, Gloria Goings is responsible for Cisco's DEI strategy, inclusive communities, and fairness work. Her team is focused on removing barriers to inclusion and belonging and making sure that Cisco's culture reflects its values. For over 23 years, Gloria has been launching new employee and business strategies to reach and acquire underserved 
customers at Fortune 50 companies. A frequently and highly sought after public speaker and multicultural thought leader, she frequently consults with senior executives and board of directors on how to build an inclusive culture that attracts, engages, and leverages a diverse workforce to drive growth, sales, and operational excellence. Prior to joining Cisco, Gloria was the head of health equity and business development at Amazon. Gloria, welcome. Well, first of all, all I can say is, wow. So let me just introduce myself. I am Gloria Goins. I am proudly Cisco's Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer, been here for about five months. I am an African-American female with black hair, brown eyes. Today, I'm wearing a red dress with a red bow over my left shoulder, and my pronouns are she and her. And so I have to start off with gratitude because I start off every conversation with gratitude. So Alex and Callie, I'm going to say something that might be controversial. The two of you are two of my favorite people. Your energy, your brilliance, what you do for not only Cisco, for the world is not only infectious, it's impactful. So I am grateful for the opportunity to be part of this podcast and I'm feeling your energy and I'm ready to get proximate. Let's go. Beautiful. And that just basically tells us why, right? That's why we wanted you on this podcast, Gloria. We don't even have to say anything else about why. We're going to jump right in. And I'd love to just get started with our very first question. What early influences, people, or experiences have shaped who you are? How has the importance of faith and prayer early in your life impacted you as an adult and how you live today? Well, that's just a great question. You know, I think the best way to understand who I am and how I show up is to know that I am the daughter of a Bahamian immigrant who came to this country in the middle of height racial segregation, ironically, looking for the American dream. All he brought was a superhuman work ethic, undying faith in God, unwavering commitment to respect all people, a high value on education, even though he didn't have one, but he instilled in his children. And so how does that mean? That means that I have sometimes, unfortunately, a pathological work ethic, right? I have a faith that calls me not to judge. I'm being very intentional when I say that, but calls me to recognize in my faith that a tree is known by its fruit. And so what fruit am I bearing? Am I bearing fruit of love, compassion, psychological safety? When people interact with me, what fruit am I bringing to them? So my father instilled that in me. And what was so powerful about who he was is that even though, so picture this, you got an uneducated Black foreigner with a sixth grade education looking for the American dream in the height of racial segregation where he worked on Miami Beach. But there was a sign that said, no Jews, no dogs, no N-words allowed. And my father was a janitor. And he would tell stories of how people knew that because he was a janitor that he'd have to clean it up. They would take their feces and write the N-word on the wall knowing he had to clean it up. And so even though my father would tell me these horrific stories 
I usually saw him smile and laugh. And she was so incredibly resilient. And we at Ciscoanians understand the importance of resilience. And in my vision of who I want to be as Cisco from a DEI perspective, we want to make sure we're building that resilience in our communities, internally and externally. My father modeled that. That joy that cried when others are trying to take that joy and ride from you. So I try to model and channel those immigrant values of hard work, respect for all people, recognizing an obstacle is what you see when you take your eyes off the goal, never, ever losing hope. That's how I try to show up, Alex. Hope is absolutely a superpower. Yes. Thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that, Gloria. And I just thinking about resilience, I I have to ask you a follow up here because a lot of times when we talk about inclusion, we talk about skill building, we talk about this notion of privilege. And one of the things that I notice is it's always a good conversation, but it's always this kind of push and pull, especially from folks who grew up working class, who grew up as children of immigrants, who really had to think about that really working hard and to get where they are and that resilience you talk about. And that we're privileged, that's hard to think about. Oh, maybe there were other things because people are like, I thrived in spite of it. I don't know if you've talked about this, that notion, but how do you reconcile kind of talking about how we have these systemic inequalities and also honoring and recognizing that resilience in spite of? Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. It's interesting because at the heart of your question, there's, there's so many things to unpack there, Kelly, but at the heart of your question is this. It is our need to be comfortable living in the both and. Our need to be comfortable with this concept plurality. And so this is what I mean. We have a tendency as human beings to want things to be easy and simplistic when the work that we do is complicated and crunchy. Being a human being is complicated and crunchy. I'm complicated and crunchy. So what that means is that we try to make things either or, black, white, left, right, right, wrong, and sometimes it's black and white. So so let me make that personal. So yes, someone can look at me and say, Gloria, what are you talking about? What are you complaining about? Look at what you've accomplished. You're the chief diversity officer of a Fortune 100 company. Look at where you went to school. Look at where you live. And I would say, yes, mine is a story of resilience and overcoming obstacles and hard work and opportunities that were afforded to me. But mine is also the story of the people and the systems and the things that tried to hold me back, of the promotions, of the raises, of the AP classes I was denied. Of the people who said things to me like, you know, Gloria, I know what it is about you, but every time I talk to you, I get the sudden urge to get my shoes shine, right? So mine is the story of the opportunity and the struggle. And who I am is both. Gloria's not just all the great things and all the privileges that I've had, but Gloria's also the struggles and the things that I had to fight for and through that others did not. It's both and. And we've got to be comfortable, Callie and Alex, in recognizing that it's not either or, it's not left, it's not white, black, it's both and. And when people come to you with their stories, when you get proximate to them, 
you got to hear and listen. And most importantly, believe both and. Ooh. Ooh. Believe, believe both and, y'all. Believe both and. Let me follow that up, Gloria. I mean, you started talking about this. Normally, when we talk about getting proximate, we're talking about folks and their role, and we're saying, how does who you are, your identity, impact you and how you show up as a leader? And I'm going to add a little and on there for you. And I'm going to say, because you're also thinking about how you show up, but you're also shaping culture. You're also shaping strategy for a company. So specifically, as a Black woman, you talked about that. How has that impacted not only you and how you show up and how you lead, but also how you kind of envision strategy for either Cisco or any other company that you've been a part of? Great question. And I think I'm going to channel two Black women who gave me comments in the last 48 hours. Because what I'm going to channel, Callie and Alex and friends who are listening, is my sort of core belief that to whom much is given, much is required. Right. So to me, when you are a leader, you are a steward. You are a steward of the careers, of the psychological safety, the gifts and talents on your team. That's why I always say that the DEI team that I have the privilege of leading is a gift to me. I don't take that gift lightly. So I'm going to channel two people to kind of answer that question, to, to give it sort of a context and a frame and some texture. So my executive um, assistant and business partner, Chantel Holly, has been an executive assistant for 30 years. And she said to me, in my 30 years of being an EA, I have never had a Black female manager. I've never had someone who looks like me be my leader. Point one. Point two, yesterday, I was doing a session for our flexors. There was a young flexor named Cleopatra who asked me the question, essentially, you just asked me. And what she said was, Gloria, and I'm paraphrasing it, but she said, you know, I look around Cisco, we'll see a lot of people at the top who look like me. What's your plan and your strategy? We're going to fix that. And she asked me that. And I said to her, well, first, Cleopatra, here's what I know. It's hard to be what you can't see. So understand that unequivocally, part of the DEI three-year strategy whose Ancestry.com links back to our business goals, our business transformation, France 3P strategy, Kelly's P&C strategy, right, is to make sure that we track and retain and engage and promote and lever the global marketplace because the best way for Cisco to attract the global marketplace is to reflect it at every level, particularly the top this organization. So that's a critical part of my strategy. Now, let me make that personal. You asked me about my identity. I recognize that as a Black woman, my very presence is an inspiration and a calling to others. And that I have an obligation to be excellent and I have an obligation to be proximate. So when we think about proximity, sometimes, friends, we think that proximity is just about friends and others whom we're not traditionally proximate to because we're trying to break through mythology. Proximity is about people who may share your same identity, that they just need to hear your voice. So we just came back in April from Radiate. That was fantastic. You know, shout out to CBP. Shout out to Alex and Classy James. Hello, but world-class. Talk about raising the game and the bar. Hello, friends. Radiate, I had a lot of opportunity to engage with people who looked like me. And I'm going to tell you, last week, 
I had six, count them, six conversations with people that I met at Radiate who said, can I just put on your calendar? Now, yes, is Gloria busy? Yes, Gloria is busy. Is Gloria traveling all over the place? Yes, Gloria is traveling all over the place. But for me not to be proximate to the people who need my proximity, who are begging for my proximity, to just feel comfortable and whole and part of this organization would be crime, would be tragic. So I had six different conversations. And the same day from people I met in April, because I believe that is my role as a leader is to make myself available, to be proximate, to be heard, to remind people not how great I am, but to remind them of how great they are. Gloria, I have a follow-up question to that too. And I think it's a great piece. And thank you for that question, Callie. So as Chantel mentioned to you, for you to be her first Black woman leader in her 30-year career, I'd love to double-click into that. And how does that make you feel, right? With the both and, with all of your identities, with you being the CDO of the Chief Diversity Equity Inclusion Officer, and you as a Black woman on how you grew up and your experiences, share some of that feeling, like some of that nuance with us in the audience, please. Yeah, so Alex, it's a great question. And thank you for double-clicking into that because I think there's some lessons around proximity and the work that we even do around unconscious bias. It's a very humbling thing to know that my very presence gives her comfort and inspiration and brings air underneath her wings. You all may not notice this, but I refer to Chantel not just as my EA. I call her my EA and my business partner. And I don't do that gratuitously. Here is a woman who is a published author, who is a certified authentic leadership coach, who has all of these gifts and talents and accomplishments that I see, that I honor, that I give platform voice for that I make sure that she comes to strategy sessions. And it's not this to take notes. It's to say, what do you think? In fact, if I'm really honest, if you unpack the three big rocks of the DEI strategy that we're going to be focusing on over the next six months that we think are going to be transformational for our business and intently for the world, it was Chantel's idea to come up with those three big rocks, Right. And so when you're not proximate, when you're not open, when you're not listening, when you're not looking for talent in places where you don't think talent is, you miss stuff, right? Here's what we also know. Because I am a Black woman, what that makes me aware is I'm able to see her through a lens that doesn't have the same biases that others may have seen her through before. And that gives her more psychological safety and energy. Now, let me caveat what I just said, though. Let me caveat that. And that is why Callie and Alex, the two of you in particular in my team, whenever you give me coaching and feedback about things that I say and do that are not inclusive, I bring them up. I embrace them. Because even though I've been doing this work for 23 years, I'm still growing. I'm still learning. I still have unconscious biases because I'm a human being, right? So even though my 
lived experience and shared identity allows me to see things that others can't see. What I'm also cognizant of is that I have some of the same unconscious biases as others who don't look like me do. Why? Because we all live in the same society. We all got the same messages. We've internalized that. There's an old saying when I used to teach unconscious bias training and I used to teach unconscious bias training to predominantly African-American audiences. I would say, friends, recognize that bias and racism is not just something that happens to Black people. It happens through Black people. I don't make the automatic assumption that because I've got a shared experience that I know everything about time. And use that as a starting point, but stay open. Does it make sense? Stay open. Because those flash friends, I'm flawed, but I'm growing and I'm crunchy. Yeah, just so many nuggets about showing up as a sponsor. We talk about, we have all kinds of people ask all the time, well, I've done it. I have a sponsee. Now what? And I think what you just heard is some really great examples of how you invest in another person and what that looks and sounds like. Just thinking about the systems, you know, when we talk about unconscious bias, when we talk about racism, when we talk about all these isms, we're talking about a system that impacts everybody. And so when we make it better for some, we're making it better for everybody. So thank you for underlining that, Gloria. Alex, I know you've got a question about well-being and Gloria's been dropping some nuggets here. So I want to hear what she does as well to keep that balance. Yeah, we're going to switch gears a little bit, Gloria. Our next question's around what are practices behaviors and or things that center you and are necessary for your well-being? Yeah. So I would just transparently say the struggle is real to stay balanced and well. My team knows that literally every single week I send out something called Monday musings. I either send it by email or I do it by video if I'm here. And I ended with take care of yourselves and each other because the work that we do, Kyle, and Alex and friends, is hard. It's hard. We especially have to manage our mental, psychological, physical health. And so there are things that I do inconsistently and there's things that I do consistently. So what I do consistently, literally every morning, I don't care what's going on in my life. I'm tired. I've had two hours of sleep. Whatever's going on. The dog's barking. My daughter wants to order Uber Eats. Whatever's going on, I take somewhere, and I don't have a timer, but I take five to 10 minutes to just get quiet and isolate it and just pray and meditate and get grounded. And I start off with gratitude. I'm just grateful that I woke up. I'm grateful for all the blessings I can see and the ones I can't see. And just, just ground me and give me peace and direction for how I can be an inspiration I do that every single day, no matter what. Every Saturday, provided that the hurricane gods in Florida are nice, my husband and I will do a four-mile walk. And it's our way of connecting. We plan out, you know, what we're going to do for the week. We sometimes take the dog and just we connect. And it's our kind of our mini boot. Then because I live in Florida, I'm near a beach. And so I try to go to the beach at least once a month because I'm like 15 minutes from a beach and I pick up shells and I'm always marveling and I just pick them up and look at them. And I don't actually bring them home unless they're like remarkable because my husband's like, please do not bring any more shells into the household. It's looking like an episode of hoarders in this house. Stop it with the shells. 
thrown back in the ocean. But if I find a cell that is so unique, that reminds me of the power and the complexity of the universe, kick it up and I bring it home and I keep it on my desk. Because I think that power and that complexity and that simplicity, that both and, is what I think we're all called to do, especially when we do this work. So I would just say that well-being is so critical. And I'm just going to book in this answer by something that I just found out today. Today. So earlier today, I was watching Morning Joe, where I've had the pleasure of seeing Chuck and Fran speak on that show in the past. There was an author by the name of Joanne Lipman, last name L-I-P-A-N. I have, tell you in transparency, I've not read any of her books. I have not, but I will. She wrote a book called Next, The Power of Reinventing Your Life. She said that she has a chapter in there that's all about the power and need to take vacation. Now, let me double click into that. So when we talk about well-being, especially someone who's got very strong immigrant, Protestant, work ethic, type A personality, you're like, oh, I can't go on vacation. I, gotta, I can't unplug. The world's just going to fall apart. I got to my WebEx. I got to check my email. I have to get over that. I also have to take vacation. My manager, Kelly Jones, is like, when are you going to take vacation? I'm like, well, I'm taking the 4th of July. She's like, well, it's a holiday. Well, we don't not work it anyway. That's not really vacation. You might want to do better. Joanne has this research, some of it comes from McKenzie, which says that actually people who take their vacation are not only more likely to have heart disease and stress and be more engaged, check this out, they're more likely to get promoted by a factor of two to one. Come on, pause, stop. Come on now, stop, stop. So what she did was she broke through this mythology that in order for you to get ahead, you have to be omnipresent, but you really give yourself and the organization an opportunity to get to the next level when you come back more resilient, well, whole, refreshed self, right? They're more likely to get promoted, friends. So what I'm hearing, Gloria, is vacation is part of our talent strategy. Really? That is vacation, well-being. Shout out to Jesse Pavelka, who I had the pleasure of talking at Cisco Live with about the intersection of well-being and inclusion, all the data we know about how that's important for not only ourselves, but our ecosystems all the things we get out of it. So, because he told me to read a book called Atomic Habits. By the way, I took that book to the beach, read it in a day, read it in a day, implemented the things, some of the things like habit stacking the next day. Yes, Hallie, vacation, PTO, resilience, refreshment is part of our talent strategy. And we have to encourage our customers, our suppliers, our communities, our partners to do the same. Because no point in us being healthy and whole and resilient if our full ecosystem as Ciscoanians aren't either. There you have it. Permission, for not only permission to take, but encouragement to take your PTO, y'all. Take your PTO. And make it real. Yes. 
Well, Gloria, I love that you talked about, I know it's one of the things that we've talked about before is kind of this love of nature, this meditation that we find. And I know part of that is because nature, it does represent the both and, the complexities, and it just does it so much better than we do it because it just goes with it. And another thing that I know we've talked about a bit, and I've been so appreciative to hear you talk about is, is this idea of neurodivergence. So as somebody who has an ADHD diagnosis myself, I remember getting that diagnosis was one of two big revelations in my life. I would say the first is coming out. The second one is figuring out that the way my brain worked wasn't a detriment, but it was just something that I had to learn to work with and that actually could be an advantage. You've talked about neural neurodivergence. Can you talk about that? Navigating your career as a neurodivergent person, some of the biggest obstacles, and then some of those benefits that you've discovered as you've kind of gotten to know yourself and that part of yourself a little bit. Yeah, it's really interesting, Polly, because there's so many feelings and emotions I have when you ask me that question. It's really interesting because I didn't know I was dyslexic until I went through a very painful, traumatic process in having my daughter be diagnosed as dyslexic. And I actually had to apologize to my daughter to be very transparent. Because if you don't understand how dyslexia manifests, you think the person is just being lazy. Or you think the person is just not smart and just not putting in the time and effort and not understanding that 20% of the world writ large is dyslexic. And don't get me wrong. There were like echoes of my dyslexia. Like I had a manager say, I'm just going to give you some feedback. You tend to leave out words when you write things. So footnote to everyone who's listening. If I send you an email and I leave out a word or I invert a word or I do a completely different word, just know that's my dyslexia showing up. And so I diagnosed myself through getting my daughter formally diagnosed. And here's a couple of things that, that I learned through that process, Kylie. The first thing is what I told a manager of mine that I was dyslexic. She goes, I don't believe you. I, this, that's impossible. How could someone of your educational background and what you've accomplished in this company have a learning disability? I don't believe you. To be fair, the person who said this to me was one of my best managers to this day. So it has nothing to do with my relationship. It has nothing to do with who she is and was. It was the fact that we don't understand. We see people, but we don't know their whole stories because I'm bringing, I'm smiling, I'm chilling, I'm doing all these things, but I'm also suffering in silence. And so it's really important for me to be transparent about the fact that I have dyslexia because I want other people to have space and comfort to say, wow, if, if Gloria Goins, the chief diversity officer at Cisco with Ivy League credentials who graduated early and often and with honors every place she went can be dyslexic, I can come out and be comfortable being that, right? And then I just said, I can talk about privilege. Let's link this back to privilege. So I'm going to be really honest with you. When my daughter was diagnosed, I got kind of sad because we spent, not because she was dyslexic, I got kind of sad because I said, what if I didn't have the money to pay for the very expensive testing, diagnosis, tutors, and remediation. My daughter would be lost. And I said to myself, how many black and brown children are being discounted and dismissed because they're really dyslexic? And someone told them they were stupid. They have no value. Now, let me just look in why I was really sad. And then I just hope that the story gives people the power to come out. 
So what made me really sad is that even though 20% of the world is dyslexic, 48% of the people who are incarcerated are dyslexic. We start planning prison beds based on the literacy rate of third graders. You want to talk about privilege? That's privilege. You want to talk about mass incarceration? Now, one out. This is about spending money in the wrong place, putting in resources in the wrong places. Now, you ask me, how is this an advantage? People who are dyslexic, like you know Richard Branson and Tom Cruise and Albert Einstein, right? We tend to be very creative and very entrepreneurial and entrepreneurial. Those of you who work with me, been around me, know that if I can't disrupt and innovate and take a blank piece of paper and draw a map to the moon, get bored. So if we're going to go to the moon, if we're not going to impact people's lives and change the world, I don't want to play. I got to go here next, Gloria. You and I share this in common with many other people in the world. We're in some place, and one of our identities is caregiving, right? And so putting family first is something I've always heard you say. And this is my question, but I want to get deep here. We're going to get really proximate here. This is the question, but I want to give it a little context. I have a son, do you know of, who has disabilities. He's had a number of surgeries. He's been misdiagnosed. I know you have your daughter who has also had some similar challenges. I want to talk about that. I want to get real. I want to get real with that. In the context of this, though, how do you balance prioritizing your family, especially through life's inevitable highs and the very low lows? Basically, I'm going to talk a little slang. How do you hold it down? How are you able to stay resilient, stay your authentic self? I want that to be anchored, Glory, if you don't mind. And I'll share some, too, related to your daughter and some of the challenges that she's been through that you've been able to experience with her. Yeah, thank you, Alex, for that. So let me just kind of give our listeners and friends some context for the journey that I went on the last couple of years was honestly was very traumatic, just to be very transparent. And it goes back to probably what you and I were talking about, Siskonians and our ecosystem suffering in silence, right? You know, you go to meetings, you go to WebExes and people are there and they're smiling, but you don't know what they're carrying, right? And so three years ago, in the middle of racial unrest, in the middle of COVID, my daughter, my only child, although I have stepchildren who are wonderful, but my only biological child was in the hospital seven times. And when I say she was in the hospital seven times, I want to put some clarity around that. When I say she was in the hospital seven times, she was admitted seven times. She probably went to the hospital 11 times. Seven times they kept her overnight. And she started having these uncontrollable twitching and just uncontrollable pain. He was acting out. And it was just extremely traumatic because we didn't know what to do. And I took her. And I could only, it was the middle of COVID, so only one parent could be with her. And so I was that parent. And so I took her to the hospital and I watched this child be disrespected, insulted, given the wrong medication. I watched her very painfully go through 40 different medical procedures, which I'm going to be honest with you, some of whom I had a hard time looking at, much less thinking I could even endure that as an adult. And if those of us who are parents understand, it's one thing for us to hurt. It's another thing to watch our child hurt. 
And I watched doctors, doctors insult my daughter. There was a doctor who was her neurologist because my daughter was having head pain and she ended up being diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. She was actually misdiagnosed multiple times. Come into her room. Every time she came into the room, she would comment on my daughter's hair. My daughter has very long, natural, curly hair. And because literally her head, like her brain was going back and forth, we couldn't touch her head. And so her hair started to mat. Her, her doctor came in and said, what's up with your hair? You need to have hair like mine. I make hair to be easy. You told me how I held it down. I'm just grateful that I channeled my corporate Ivy League self so that I didn't react and just kind of channeled the fact that I trained doctors and nurses on cross-cultural competency and uncompensated bias for many years and kind of pulled it aside and said, hey, Dr. X, have you ever had cross-cultural competency training? No. Well, just so you know, you every time you come in here, you first told the 16-year-old that she's got an inoperable brain tumor after you told her that... He didn't have anything like that because all of her tests were clear. Now you told her the opposite. But yet every single time you come in here, you comment on her hair. I can assure you that her hair is the furthest thing from our concern at this point. But so now I'm just going to be really honest and give a true confession here, friends. And what I'm going to say, I don't want anyone to model it, but I'm going to be transparent because I want people to be free. While my daughter was doing this, and to be fair to my employer, I don't think my employer expected of me. It was my own pathology of why I need to take more vacation. While my daughter was sleeping, I would literally pull out my laptop and be working all hours of the night and morning working, trying to make my caregiving transparent to my employer right? and to my daughter. Right? And so I'm working. And what I didn't realize, Alex, as the caregiver, that the trauma that you're child goes through also traumatizes you and that the least selfish thing you can do is to take care of yourself first because guess what if I went out he was done and I subsequently did have a post-traumatic stress break but it's because I didn't prioritize me and her never again will I be in a hospital room working not going to do it. So if it wasn't for my husband, my therapist, and my pastor, that's how I held it down. And I'm going to say this one last thing because it ties into the work that I have done and the work that I'm doing. So one of the things that I'm really excited about, friends, is that part of our DEI strategy involves helping our customers and our partners integrate this. And in the last 24 hours, I've had three new customers who want to partner with us on DEI. And in particular, they want to partner with us. How do we address healthcare disparities, particularly around Black maternal health, which is insanely outrageous in the richest, most highly technical country on the planet. And the reason I bring that up is because what I want friends to understand is because of the unconscious conscious biases and the systemic racism in our healthcare system, which is Martin Luther King said that discrimination in healthcare is the most humane, inhumane, is that despite the fact I've got this long list of accomplishments, three degrees, fantastic insurance, made a decent living, none of it insulated me or my daughter from being disrespected, dismissed, 
insulted, given the wrong medication, misdiagnosed, and treated like we shouldn't have been been there. None of that, quote-unquote, privilege, Callie, insulated me from that. That's the both hand. Yes, I had great insurance. I don't have to worry about the bill. My daughter's medical expenses were 60 Gs. I have to worry about that because I had great benefits. But none of that saved me from the trauma that came not just before I got to the hospital, the trauma that was inflicted on me in the hospital. Which is institutional. It's institutional and systemic. Gloria, I have a similar story and we're not going to have time to get into that. I just am so inspired because what I also recognize is that my child who is looking at and observing me and how I'm reacting to all of the marginalization as well. And so I'm just commenting because I feel that passion on how you were able to handle that. And I know I said, hold it down, but I meant, how are you able to handle that and be resilient under pressure? That's something related to what inspires me to be partnering with you, working with you, and really being just part of your life and you being a part of our lives. Right at you. So we're going to go quick fire. I'm going to ask you a question. Answer it as quickly as you can. Callie isn't going to ask you a question. We're going to go kind of like back and forth. My first question for you is, who was at your kitchen table? With whom do you laugh, cry, and share and process with? Best friend. My husband, Prince, been married for 21 years, met him on a blind date. Yes, Prince is his real name. Beautiful. So as we talk about getting proximate, Gloria, what is one identity or one experience that you feel like you would still like to get more proximate to or understand better? Yeah, I want to get proximate to people who don't want to be proximate to me, who don't support DEI, because that's the whole point of proximity, right? It's not to run away from dissonant voices or uncomfort, but to run towards it. So that's who I want to get more proximate to. What does inclusion look and sound like to you? Yeah, I just very succinctly tell friends that if they're trying to be more inclusive, to just constantly ask the question, whose voice is missing from the product, from the conversation, from the initiative, from the policy practice, and then work actively in the spirit of allyship to bring that voice to the table. And Gloria, what does hope look like to you? Or what does it mean to you? So hope is the, you know, Alex said it earlier, actually, he said, hope is the superpower, right? It's the superpower for everyone who does this work. But friends, it's also the kryptonite against fear, despair, wanting to throw in the towel. Without hope, we're done. Hope reminds us that no matter what goes on, that we have agency, that we have voice, that we have efficacy, that every day that we wake up, we have a new opportunity to make a difference. Don't let anyone ever take that from you. Callie and I want to thank you for being on this podcast with us. My pleasure. Yes. I think my one big takeaway really is the nuance, right? It's the nuance and the end that you talk about. You're made up of many different identities. We all resonate with many different identities. And that the dialogue that we need to have with one another is how we're going to shape change. And so thank you so much. Now to everyone listening to this podcast. Thank you. Everyone listening to this podcast right now, you need to go get proximate. Go get proximate. Let's go. Let's do it. Thank you for listening to the Let's Get Proximate podcast powered by Cisco. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Cisco, an industry leader in technology innovations and solutions. With networking, security, collaboration, cloud management, and more, 
Cisco helps securely connect industries and communities, creating the bridge to possible. Find out more at www.cisco.com.